Good morning and welcome to the Coinbase Institutional Market School. My name is Ben Floyd. I'm Head of Execution Services and I'm going to be your host for today. It's Tuesday the 20th of June. Uh, I can't believe we're halfway through the year already. It feels like a ton has happened as is always the way within crypto. And as per usual, we have got a fantastic lineup to run you through what's been happening in crypto this week and what you need to be keeping close attention to. So this week, we've got George, who's going to run through some price action technicals, talk through the altcoin consolidation and, and BTC dominance. He's also going to talk through USDT and some of the things that have been going on there and, and also comment on what's been going on in the curve pool and in uh, the Far East with regards to banking. David's then going to cover some of the more macro related items. Uh, we had obviously had a Fed meeting last week with some comments. Um, so we're going to hear from him on what he thinks is important to listen to going forwards. And then Greg's going to run through some of the funding information that we're seeing within the crypto space. Also, skew, seasonality effects, uh, some of which are slightly positive, you'll be, you'll be very pleased to hear. And then lastly, we'll finish off with Sid, who's going to go through the Curve 3 pool in a little more detail, following on from George's point earlier on in the call. He's also going to run through OPBNB, which was released very recently, and talk through what that means for some of the other OP iterations that are out there. If you are watching on YouTube, don't forget to scan that QR code to get access to all of David and Tim's fantastic research. If you're listening on podcasts, the link will be in your show notes. And lastly, don't forget to hit subscribe and rate us. It's the best way for other people to find out more about the podcast. Um, and also, you will get an alert when we release a new one each week. Without further ado, let's get right into it. George, kicking off with you, what has been happening in the crypto markets in the last week or so? Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, another pretty interesting week with uh, quite a few headlines to uh, unpack. It was pretty volatile overall. We had um, BTC trading uh, below 25K temporarily. Um, basically everyone freaking out over um, Tether uh, yet again. But then we actually ended the week up um, 3%. Um, so that, that was quite interesting. Um, BTC dominance is now above 50% uh, for the first time in more than two years. Uh, and given the current environment that puts excess pressure on altcoins, I think um, that'll probably be a theme that is going to stay with us for uh, some time. Um, if you look at technical analysis, I think uh, from that perspective, um, BTC is not quite out of the woods yet, despite uh, rebounding and trading just below 27K last. Uh, we just had this death cross, um, so basically bearish crossover between the 50 uh, and 100-day uh, moving averages, with both of them now functioning as resistance. But we also bounced off the 25K level a couple of days ago, which is uh, really strong support for the market. Uh, but having said that, last time we saw um, these moving averages crossover, which was in January, and at that time it was obviously a, a bullish uh, crossover, a golden cross, if you want to call it that. Um, the price uh, of BTC uh, moved up to 35% higher um, compared to uh, where it was at the time of uh, having the crossover. So again, not saying that um, we're expecting a similar price section now, um, but it's definitely something to to watch out for from a, a TA perspective. Neith, I think, uh, uh, sorry, go ahead, Ben. Uh, th thanks, George. So it's interesting. We've had almost a 10% move in BC. Um, the lows, as you said, I think we were 24,750. And then, and then obviously we've traded much higher, close to 27K. Uh, is it fair to say that a lot of that was based off some of the slightly more hawkish comments we got from the Fed, which David is going to cover later on on Wednesday, which kind of pushed us lower uh, as all risk assets uh, struggled for, for a period of time? 
And then towards the end of the week, we got some potentially positive structural news for the for the crypto ecosystem as well. Yeah, definitely, hundred uh, percent. Um, as you say, on the one hand, there was a positive structural news um, in, in light of the Fed, which was a little bit more hawkish than expected. Actually, risk assets have uh, held up better than expected, which uh, creates a sort of um, self-reinforcing spiral of positive price action. Then also, I guess the other thing is, uh, you know, as altcoins are struggling a little bit more, liquidity is concentrating uh, into BTC as well. So I think that has definitely um, helped it to perform well. And actually, I would say a similar picture in ETH as well, which has also performed, um, you know, off the benchmark that if you benchmark that uh, compared to uh, the broader altcoin spectrum uh, reasonably well. Um, and then uh, ultimately, if you look at the BTC performance, um, I mean, there are certain altcoins like STX, which is, you know, very strongly um, correlated or related in terms of narratives to BTC that was uh, outperforming as well. So that one, for instance, was up um, 16% on the week. Interesting. It's, it's to see ETH underperform by, by a few percent of BTC. It kind of shows that some of this news is, is kind of hitting the specific asset very broadly. And as you, as you mentioned, the GBTC discount there as well has had a, has had a decent move. Um, Despite that, and I'm sure Greg will comment on this on his section, the, the general investor sentiment is, is very bullish for, for Ethan in general. Um, so perhaps we, we see that close the gap at some point. And, and what, what else has been going on? What have you, have you been keeping an eye on? Yeah, so um, I mentioned initially one other thing um, that, that initially had triggered uh, some of the self that we've seen uh, was uh, obviously the USDT uh, story. And I mean, everyone's calling it USDT DPEG. I mean, uh, I'm not sure I would call it that way, but uh, it, it definitely was trading at a slight discount of up to a half percent uh, compared to USDC temporarily. Um, according to data from Keiko, most of the selling was happening on Binance, uh, Uni uh, and Curve as the um, Curve 3 pool um, was a little bit misbalanced with uh, up to 70 percent um, uh, USDT at, at one point, but um, Sid will talk a little bit more um, in detail about that later. Um, and that, I mean, I guess also the other interesting thing is that this came about roughly at the same time as um, uh, a big documents release that um, shed some more light basically on um, the banking relationships and uh, commercial paper exposure uh, of uh, Tether in 2021. Uh, so Bloomberg basically ran that big story uh, on that. And uh, the gist is essentially that uh, Tether uh, did have exposure to Chinese securities at that point. Uh, namely, it was commercial paper of uh, the uh, ICBC, uh, CCB and the Agricultural Bank of China. Um, but what I'd say is, uh, you know, like if I think back a year, year and a half ago, uh, when everyone was talking about that, um, the general speculation was that they have exposure to commercial paper of Chinese uh, property developers, uh, which, you know, obviously were uh, in a lot of trouble then. And um, that, that those commercial papers, uh, they're, they're trading at a 30 to 40 percent uh, discount. Um, obviously, now that we know that um, they actually had paper of, of some of the largest banks, um, not just Chinese banks, but some of the largest banks in the world with trillions of dollars in assets, I think uh, that should probably be better um, than uh, expected. But, you know, having said all of that, obviously, um, they are still struggling with um, that uh, transparency. Um, Overall, and and these these rate hikes over the last two years have definitely helped them from a cash flow perspective as well. But yeah, I think I think you know it's it's definitely better than uh, what many have expected. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's interesting that as you said, like rates have clearly helped that business model no end, and and uh, at least from their last kind of report, like incredibly uh, incredibly profitable last uh, couple of quarters. 
do you know is i'm not aware but is there anywhere that you can actually receive rewards for that because obviously tether are making a decent uh return on the invested capital but i'm not familiar with anywhere where you can actually receive that as a as a user of tether i mean it's certainly not not from the not that i'm aware of at least not from the direct uh from the the mothership so to speak um that is responsible uh, for tether there's obviously third parties i guess where you can get rewards but uh i think nowadays everyone is, is you know like quite uh quite skeptical with regards to counterparty risk um if someone offers you a, you know a, a yield that that seems to be too good to be true and in the end i totally agree with you i mean you've seen it in the q1 report they uh, made about one and a half yards in profit um obviously but ultimately um all of that uh, is accruing uh, to um the, the mothership itself and it's not getting passed on to to the actual holders as opposed um, to uh, rewards and, and other stable coins yeah, for, for sure. So kind of staying staying in kind of uh, APAC region, there were some uh, articles from the FT around HBC and Standard Chartered. Um, curious for your thoughts on those. Yeah, exactly. So, so just to recap that briefly, uh, basically the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, so the FT ran a big article on that, uh, was basically uh, pressuring uh, HSBC and Standard Chartered out of everyone, so some pretty major tier one uh, financial institutions uh, to uh, accept crypto customers, which uh, I guess they've been quite skeptical um, about that in the past, but there does seem to be this, this pressure in Hong Kong. So I think that really, you know, fits into this broader narrative of Hong Kong uh, opening up and um, trying to really um, foster innovation, open up to Web3 and crypto uh, in that region. So I think uh, it's a pretty uh, positive sign um, overall. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So I had a meeting with uh, a, a very highly respected protocol founder um, last week uh, who lives in Hong Kong. And they were saying that the ability to get a bank in Hong Kong from a crypto company is just really, very, very straightforward now. And while we may not be necessarily seeing the flows kind of rush in, um, it definitely feels like things are opening up and people on the ground are very, very bullish on it. And it's definitely going the right direction, which is, I guess, almost the opposite to, to kind of where, where we are kind of sat in the US, unfortunately, where I'm sat in the US. But, um, but yeah, good to see some some progression there for sure. And, and George, I guess like a pulse check from you would be helpful here. You're sat in the UK. Rishi Sunak was, um, has been very pro-crypto, pro-AI. Um, I know you had a client dinner last week. Was, was there anything that kind of came out of that that was particularly interesting as a result of maybe the, the kind of government uh, stance? Yeah, I think that the sentiment here is, is generally quite positive or in the EMEA region uh, more generally, obviously um, the Mika regulatory framework um, uh, get, getting passed and, and the UK, as you say, a 16Z coming over um, as well. So, you know, I think um, things are definitely moving in the uh, right direction um, in, in, in Europe and, and in the UK specifically. So I would say the sentiment uh, is quite good, but uh, I guess uh, maybe you get a little bit of, of a game theoretical aspect as well, right? With other regions trying to pitch in, like obviously Hong Kong, um, the Middle East, uh, the, the UAE, for instance, or, or Singapore um, as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's always, it's always good to see some uh, some good competition uh, for for crypto business. That is for sure. Um, sticking with uh, sentiment, uh, David. Moving on to you, there was a, a bit of a change in in sentiment when it comes to what the future rate path might look like uh, after Wednesday's meeting. Um, would love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, actually, there was a lot going on with monetary policy, not just in the U.S., but uh, we saw some 
pretty important developments going on in Europe as well as China as well. But yeah, let's let's kind of start with the U.S. because we didn't get to cover this last week. Um, you know, this this call comes out before the uh, Fed meeting, and we got a pretty surprising development with regard to the dot plot. Uh, so right now, it seems like only two board members are looking to keep rates unchanged. Uh, my guess is that's probably Mary Daly and probably Goolsby. Uh, there are four who anticipate one hike, uh, and the rest uh, pretty much believe that there should be two hikes that may be warranted in this cycle. So the big question I think uh, that comes up here is, given this hawkish pause, as people are kind of calling it, um, what does this mean? Because why didn't they just hike rates rather than just, you know, signal that they need to pause here and kind of kind of move this along? I mean, one, uh, I think one theory going around is that Powell really wanted to have consensus on this. He wants this to be a, uh, you know, uh, a the consensus driven kind of board he wants like you know everyone to kind of be on the same side as far as doing a hike and there are people who are dissenting uh so i think that's probably one of the bigger factors i'm not sure if he's going to be able to rally them uh by the time we get to the next meeting in july but that's something to kind of look ahead to uh another big part of this is that monetary policy tends to work with lags and Usually that lag tends to be somewhere around, you know, two years, 24 months. Um, and when you, you know, start to see inflation coming down, that's when, uh, you know, you know, you need to kind of ease off and, and kind of move. The only thing about this is the current cycle started 15 months ago. And so far, I think the moves here have been pretty dramatic. You know, we've already seen the peak in inflation. Uh, we've now had a banking crisis that a lot of people feel like it's over. And, and you know, my personal belief is it's not. Uh, we are still engaged in a credit crunch, which already creates a lot of tightening conditions. I think that that already kind of embeds about 50 basis points of tightening into this, which may not be uh, considered by a lot of people right now. So I, I think there are actually a lot of good reasons not to be uh, continuing with rate hikes, but I seem to be on the other side of this. Uh, I think there are many people who believe that given that inflation is where it's at, um, perhaps the, the you know, Fed may be doing what, you know, you know it, it should be doing. And I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you, you've been you've been kind of very um, uh, maybe on the more bearish side or maybe hawkish side. Uh, and you've been right um, in, in the last couple of months. I'm curious, like, what else are you looking out for now uh, in, the, in the coming weeks and months? to kind of continue to evolve your view? Yeah, you know, the big theme, I think that, you know, it's been going on since the start of the year. And I, I'd say that it's been in the background maybe for the last few months is this idea of recession. You know, we, we've been wrestling with this. It's not just a US thing. It could be a broad global recession, for example. And that's an important question to ask because if a recession is coming, then maybe the way we're positioned uh, should be more on the bearish side, at least in the very short term. But so far, what we've been getting is this kind of like low volatility, very kind of like grinding kind of moves. I mean, yes, like uh, we've seen very recently that the S&P has kind of picked up, but we we're kind of talking about this earlier in the call. And George had mentioned that, yeah, but that's all been driven by just seven stocks because people are trying to play up the AI theme. The reality is there's 493 stocks in the S&P 500, which aren't doing well, you know, that, that aren't driving the market cap growth that, that we've seen recently. So, you know, I, I think that trying to find the answer to that is really the, the big question. Like if indeed we are sure that a recession, technical or otherwise, is definitely coming, 
then I think that's going to drive the Fed's decision making. And then we could really start to see that cut materialize. And in fact, that's kind of what we're seeing inside the Fed fund futures. You know, people have started to price in the idea of a cut by Q4 again, because regardless of what the Fed says, we are data dependent and we are looking at whether that data is actually going to be driving a more negative economic scenario. Interesting. So you, so you think that the cut will come as a result of recession coming some point in Q3 and we're just going to need to cut to continue to stimulate the economy? Yeah. And that's kind of where China kind of comes in, because, you know, so last week we saw, you know, the Fed actually do this hawkish pause, the ECB, uh, you know, hiked rates to its highest in 22 years. But on the other side of this, China is cutting rates. And they actually delivered on their expected 10 basis point reduction uh, to some of the benching, uh, to some of their benchmark rates, like the one-year loan prime rate was cut by 10 bips. Um, I think the five-year uh, LPR was actually cut. But you know, markets have been very sensitive to what they've been delivering. So you know, once they China suggested that it was going to ease. That got priced in almost immediately. And then people started saying, well, now it's priced in deeper cuts. So, you know, like to the five-year rate that I kind of mentioned, for example, that mortgage-length five-year loan prime rate, well, they actually thought that that should be cut even deeper than what the PBOC actually delivered. And now people are actually waiting on them to deliver this one trillion renminbi, which is around like $140 billion uh, worth of stimulus that uh, they said that it's going to be funded by special treasury bonds. But this hasn't happened. I mean, the headline came out just late last week. People are already expecting that this should be delivered now. I mean, like the anticipation uh, is, is kind of palpable, but this is kind of contributing to some of the retracement we've been seeing at the beginning of this week. Um, so, you know, I, I think we're trying to figure out how some of these global factors are affecting our overall uh, economic outlook. Interesting. And, and how much this thing is priced in? That's what's hard to say. You know, um, like I said, if this is if the reality is this is just going to be a slow grinding downward kind of move, well, that's a carry environment, right? Then we should all just be looking for carry trades. And, you know, we could just be, you know, picking up, uh, you know, moves and, and maybe we're, we've been wrong to actually be putting all of our money into money market funds. But if we think that a, a, a recession actually is going to materialize and it's imminent, um, and, you know, so far we've seen with the uh, inverted yield curve, for example, that the signs are there. Well, then maybe we are right. <laughs> and putting your money into money market funds, as we've seen kind of happening over the last two, three months, uh, should be the right move. It's really just, it, it's really hard to say right now. And, and I think that, you know, this theme is going to continue. I don't think we're going to get any clarity. The Fed's been no help. If anything, they're just muddying the waters on this side of things. Interesting. Thank you. Thank you very much for that rundown, David. Speaking of carry trades, Greg, uh, that has been a, a very popular theme within crypto for, for some time now. Uh, and, and I think that there might be uh, potential trades out there at the moment. So curious, what have you been looking at in general? And then maybe if you touch on any potential in interesting carry trades or similar. Yeah, probably the, uh, the best uh, carry trade out there this year, at least, has been uh, short volatility. Um, that's paid... Uh, those that were willing to put it on very handsomely, um, especially as, you know, vol continued to come lower um, and, you know, being long vol almost became the no brainer. Um, and, you know, whenever anything's a no brainer, um, you generally want to think a little bit harder about it. 
Um, but uh, yeah, absolutely agree with with David. You know, the macro environments, um, you know, less than uh, generous at the moment. Um, but we've kind of been waiting for this recession to show up for um, you know over a year. You know, it wasn't that long ago. Uh, Jamie Dimon was talking about you know storm clouds on the horizon, and um, you know here we are. It's uh, the middle of the summer, uh, 2023, and you know it has yet to uh, yet, yet to arrive. So certainly, you know, a difficult uh, environment to trade at the moment, and I think that's why we're seeing you know net exposures as low as we are across you know our client base. Interesting. Yeah, that that makes a ton of sense. And what about volumes? What are they What are they looking like? Are they kind of mirroring and staying on the on the lower side yeah you know with summer in full swing um we're seeing volumes on the coinbase exchange you know flat line around 850 million dollars a day um which you know is a, still a pretty healthy level and you know, i look at this as a positive because you know volumes haven't fallen off a cliff uh, with everything that's happened in our market um you know there's still a lot of interest uh, on both the long and short side uh, perp funding rates, you know, that's something we talk about quite a bit. Uh, for BTC and ETH, they remain in kind of the three to four percent range, uh, and that suggests to me that positioning right now is rather neutral. Um, if you look at altcoins, you know, those are still negative, but not as deeply negative as they were last week. Um, you know, when we spoke. Right now, we're seeing you know much more reasonable levels. You know, Matic negative four percent. ADA, negative 5%, Solana, a positive 3%. Um, so positioning in the alts as well really doesn't seem to be uh, overly extreme at this moment. It's it, interesting. Solana, Greg, positive 3. I, what do you think is the, the reason around that? Yeah, I think, you know, we've seen a lot of interest um, in the desk on the buy side uh, in Solana. Yeah, it was... A, a massive ecosystem not very long ago it's traded down from you know 200 plus to it's 15 dollars now um, there's still activity on the chain um i think what we're seeing is just some folks trying to catch the bottom here um and it can move i mean we saw a trade from you know sub ten dollars to 20 earlier this year um so for those looking for that you know really high beta uh you know, higher quality name, it's probably the best one out there right now. Yeah, I, I can tell you, sympathize with that. Like, it, while it's down, what, like 94, 95%, I think, from the all-time highs, which is a crazy number. Like, the, the ecosystem, at least from what I hear, is still there, and there are still people building, particularly around NFTs, and there are certainly a number of investors that feel that the the, the scaling plans that, that Ethereum has are not necessarily plausible. And uh, Solana is, is kind of the only chain that has a, a clear path to hundreds of thousands of TPS. So, yeah, I feel like at $89, the, the risk reward at that point kind of makes sense because it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, um, you know, you and I have talked uh, in the past, ETH had its very dark days, um, you know, when it, some people thought it wouldn't make it, you know, and here we are, um, you know, it's, Seventeen hundred dollars uh, per token with a you know very uh, busy chain, a thriving L two ecosystem or landscape. So uh, you know things can change, and I think with Solana, you know it's it's very reasonable to take a look at it now and say you know this is relatively cheap option premium. Um, so you know why not? 
put a, a toe in the water down around, you know, $15, even $20. Yeah, that, that, that makes a ton of sense. Um, what are we looking at on the option side of things? I know you, you keep a close eye there. Yeah. Uh, so the options market is really telling us the same thing that, you know, the perp funding markets are telling us, um, you know, options skew. Uh, and we have a slide on this. There it is. Um, BTC option skew is back in negative territory, uh, suggesting calls are more expensive than puts. So, you know, people are no longer paying up for downside protection. Uh, ETH puts are still trading at a premium, but they too have come off their highs. So when I look at this, you know, it tells me that overall stress in uh, the crypto market is abating and things are normalizing a bit in this range, um, which, again, is a, is a positive sign for sure. Um, you know, we speak to clients day in, day out. I would say generally they're being uh, cautious. That's what I keep hearing. You know, again, we're running low nets. We're being cautious. And it makes sense. You know, David took us through the macro environment. Um, it's tough. You know, the liquidity situation is likely going to get worse over the summer. Uh, you know, we're looking at higher rates for longer. And we have a number of crypto specific headwinds and, and kind of like few catalysts on the horizon to take the market significantly higher. Um, but I do think it's worth pointing out that the seasonals are about to change here and get more supportive. So on the next slide, um, we have the monthly returns for Bitcoin over the past five years. Uh, now, June's typically pretty tough, as it's been this year, with an average return of, call it negative 7%. Um, but July is usually a very strong month with big positive returns. Now, there's nothing to say that this will hold true this year, but for those that trade these cycles um, and for anybody just running risk generally, I think this is something to be aware of. Great to see some some positive news there, Greg. Um, I, I know past performance doesn't predict future returns, et cetera, but for, for this one for today, I'll, I'll take the seasonal data and, and see the positive side. Perfect. Awesome. So uh, thanks so much, Greg. Um, Sid, we, we touched upon the Curve 3 pool uh, with George at the start of the call. Do you, do you mind just kind of running us through that, but maybe just kind of start by explaining what the Curve 3 pool is and, and what it facilitates? Yeah, for sure. So, um, I, I mean, the Curve 3 pool, Curve is basically um, the largest uh, decentralized exchange focused on stablecoin trading today. Um, of course, Uniswap is the just a gorilla in the room with decentralized exchanges in general uh, for, for all assets, but uh, Curve specializes in stable uh, trading and um, their largest pool uh, by far is um, the Curve 3 pool, which is often also referred to as a tri-pool. Uh, tri and um, what it consists of is USDT, USDC, and DAI. And the ideal proportions of these three, the original intention was to have them all comprise about a third of the pool. Um, so traders could uh, provide liquidity to this pool, earn trading fees uh, as yield, and, and there would be a big pool of liquidity for folks to swap in between these uh, various uh, stable coins. Um, and especially with USDT and USDC being kind of the pillars in, in terms of the centralized uh, stable coins there. And um, usually, historically, what's happened is this pool has generally been, you know, uh, having a kind of even composition of these three assets. Um, however, a few days ago on the 15th, what happened was um, 
there was a, a few pretty large borrows of USDT from Aave, uh, from specific addresses that then started selling on the, uh, directly onto the Curve 3 pool, uh, which caused the balance of USDT, uh, the percentage that it comprised of the 3 pool, to go from around 30% to well above uh, 76%, which is pretty substantial where the other assets, uh, other two assets are pretty small. Interesting. So, so if I've if I've got um, USDT and I want to swap to USDC or, or vice versa, uh, I've got options. I can obviously go through a centralized exchange. I could go through Uniswap or I could go through Curve. And typically, because Curve specializes in stables, their their liquidity is much better. Their spreads are much tighter, and you can get large amount done for a very small amount. But that kind of depends on or requires there to be kind of an even amount within the pool otherwise it kind of starts to get slightly off balance do you it sounds like to me that people were potentially taking a slightly more bearish view on usdt um is that is that right and that would kind of link it to george's comments about the the bloomberg article that last week yeah that's that's correct um basically yeah uh, you know you can see if for folks watching on 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 the on the slides, you can see it on the, on the PowerPoint here, but uh, you know, USDT remains kind of an elevated in an elevated position in terms of its composition in the pool. It hit 76% on the 15th, but it's still hovering around 50% of the pool when it's supposed to, uh, in theory, be around 30%, 33%, right? Uh, if it's a third of the pool. So yeah, folks are definitely taking a, a bit of a bearish stance here. Uh, but what seems to be interesting is it doesn't seem like an aggregate kind of market sentiment per se, but just a few uh, pretty substantially large borrows coming from Aave uh, from specific opinionated addresses or traders um, that are expressing this opinion. Um, so uh, for, for, you know, in terms of scope, in terms of scale, like how big this is, like the USDT in the pool currently is around $250 million. Um, so, you know, a decent sized uh, sell can move uh, the percentage uh, one way or another. Interesting. It feels like it's it's starting to normalize a little bit now. So, do we expect that to to continue? And perhaps if we see more news, that maybe reverts its trend. But for the time being, it should continue to revert to the mean. Yeah, I mean, I think as long as we don't get any news or you know any other catalyst to the contrary, it probably slowly reverts back to the mean. But the fact that it's remaining uh, elevated for so long. Um, you know, for, for traders looking to take the other direction, there is a small arbitrage to be had to come get it back to the, uh, you know, 33% that's, uh, that's the expected norm for the pool. So if folks do want to take the other side, there is that opportunity that it, that's been existing for a few days now. That, that's great. So just speaking practically, let's say I wanted to transfer a million dollars of USDT into USDC when the pool was perfectly balanced versus when the pool is slightly skewed like what is the i guess the price impact for me to to do that roughly speaking obviously not not exact numbers yeah i mean it, when the pool is perfectly balanced um all you would be paying is the trading fees uh and it you should be getting pretty very close to one to one for usdc to usdt swaps um whereas now with usdt being you know 50% of the pool, um, you're going to be getting a lot more USDT than uh, for, for each dollar of USDC or die that you provide. Um, and yeah, this is like ranging in, in I mean, depending on the size, uh, as I mentioned, there's like $250 million of USDT 
So, um, uh, you know, you'd have to do the math for the exact 1 million, but you could get up to like a percent uh, more. Uh, and, you know, this is reflected even on, on centralized exchanges where USDT briefly uh, depegged over the weekend, and uh, uh, but it's now kind of trading back. So, yeah. Interesting. Very cool. Uh, also, I, I noticed um, in uh, on Twitter earlier on today, OPBNB uh, was launched over the weekend. Curious, I would love a kind of a, a breakdown on that and also would love to understand what that means for other OP-based chains uh, and OP more generally. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting move, to be honest. Um, so OPBNB is basically... Uh, uh, what they've announced is uh, a kind of layer two solution that lives on top of the BNB or the BSC, the Binance Smart Chain, um, where it, it uses the OP stack, the OP stack, which is uh, basically a set of development tools built by the Optimism uh, Foundation, which Coinbase is now contributing to uh, by the base uh, layer two. Um, base is also built on the OP stack. Um, and uh, it's basically an optimistic roll-up where you know transactions eventually settle onto the mainnet. Um, and in the case of a base, it's it's you know it's going to be settling on, on Ethereum. In the case of Optimism uh, mainnet, it settles on Ethereum. But for BNB, this OP BNB, it's going to be settling on the Binance Smart Chain. Um, and what's interesting here is the typical use case of roll-ups is scalability. Uh, and like throughput uh, in terms of, you know, transactions getting cheaper and more transactions being possible. Um, but, you know, BNB smart chain, even their, their kind of mainnet, uh, uh, the average transaction cost now is, you know, to send, uh, uh, you know, tokens around is less than 10 cents per transaction. So it's pretty cheap already. Um, and uh, it's historically, it was launched as a means of scaling, uh, of being a more scalable version of Ethereum, a faster, you know, cheaper alternative for, you know, retail users to participate in DeFi uh, and, and that served the case. So it's kind of an interesting move. It's, it's like scale on top of scale. Uh, I'm not sure what the end um, kind of, you know, uh, key key benefit delivered by this is, uh, but uh, I think also more just kind of a narrative move potentially where, you know, obviously the conversation right now is around L2s um, and uh, and also with Coinbase launching base, you know, we, we, there's a, this is kind of another one that's built on top of the op stack. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, when I when I read it initially, I was like, "That's kind of kind of interesting." It didn't make entirely make sense to me, but I guess from a narrative perspective, it, it probably is uh, somewhat helpful. I'd imagine. Um, awesome. That's that's great. Said. Any any other final bits? Things we, sh we should be looking out for in DeFi in the in the upcoming weeks. Um, nothing of, of particular note. I, I think the main thing is um, there's a there's a lot of. Uh, 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 there's continued action on the on the ordinals front. Folks have been uh, have been uh, uh, developing you know new alternatives to try to scale uh, the original version of BRC20s. Uh, you know as they were launched a couple months ago with NFTs on the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, and there's been a lot of new proposals that have come out. Uh, nothing is quite gained you know huge traction in terms of the the kind of rise to popularity that ordinals had, but. Um, a lot of these solutions are technically far more scalable. So potentially if one of them takes off, you could see that ecosystem uh, start to grow again. Um, obviously some of these niche, uh, you know, like one-off kind of tokens as a result of this have experienced growth, right? With stacks, uh, with the price action as, as earlier alluded to. So uh, we'll see how that develops. It feels like this stuff just isn't going away. And, and whether it's ordinals or, or something else, it feels like 
the the foundations are being laid for something interesting to happen in, in the longer term, uh, probably around kind of scalability or programmability or, or something like that. Um, but yeah, one to one, one to watch for sure. Great. Well, thank you very much, Sid. Appreciate that. Um, that is a wrap for this week. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for the team for contributing as always. And don't forget to rate and subscribe because we want to make sure you get that alert and you can listen to us every single week. And with that, goodbye. Have a lovely week. Take care. All statements and analysis correspond to the date of this recording. This recording is only intended for sophisticated investors. This recording should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Coinbase nor any of its affiliates make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any of the information contained in this recording. The views expressed in this recording are not necessarily those of Coinbase. Coinbase is not providing any financial, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations. The receipt of this recording by any listener is not to be taken as a giving of investment advice by Coinbase to that listener.